0: Welcome to Misty 101 Podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. The Thames Island, that's infested with crabs the size of dinner plates, and Londoners are banned from visiting. Islands are scattered like little jewels up and down the River Thames. Some are occupied by whole villages, others are home to small communities of houseboats and house communities of creatives, eccentrics, and loners and there are a few that are completely uninhabited and people are actually barred from going there. One such place is Chiswick Eyart. Overlooked by Chiswick Mall, the island is some 3,200 acres in size. It marks the halfway point in the Oxford-Cambridge boat race and a green pole standing beside the island is used to keep track of rowers' timings. People are now banned from setting foot here unless they sign up for special tours because it's being cultivated as a nature reserve and is inhabited by swans and beautiful willow trees. Yet as always, people love to break rules, and in 2010 a man called Nick told the BBC he had been living a Robinson Crusoe-style life here, camping out on the island. Still. Hounslow Council apparently took a look and claimed there were no signs of habitation there. According to the Hidden London website, flint tools and Neolithic and Roman pottery have been discovered on Chiswick which may mean there was once a small settlement here. During the Industrial Revolution the island was used for growing grass and osiers, reeds used for making baskets, which were used in the markets at Chiswick. The naturalist C.J. Cornish wrote in 1902 that the river bank of Chiswick Mall beside the island had once been a famous fishery. He claimed the last ever salmon in the Thames had been caught here in 1812. But there are two things you really need to know about this lovely little island. One is that it is shrinking, and two, it is being invaded by crabs that can grow as large as dinner plates. Yes it's true the part of the island that used to lie within the borough of Hammersmith has since slipped into the Thames. According to the Chiswick Calendar website, the Old Chiswick Protection Society puts out calls each year for volunteers to help shore up the island using bundles of cut willow branches. The Chinese mitten crab appears to have first come to the area in the 1930s after clinging to the hulls of international ships. The crabs burrow into the muddy banks and create complex, interconnected burrows. The society says the consequences for Chiswick ayat are potentially disastrous, as the crabs burrowing loosens the mud around the island and when the tide flows in and out, the earth is washed away, steadily eroding the island over time. The Natural History Museum is even asking members of the public to report sightings of the Chinese mitten crab a species which is listed as one of the world's worst invasive species. Other than damaging river banks, they cause numerous other problems to areas that they occupy such as damaging fishing gear, blocking intake streams from rivers and reservoirs, modifying natural habitats and competing with native species. The crabs can grow to the size of a dinner plate. They have distinctive claws that make them appear furry and they have a squarish body with four spines. There's a last chance to help out in defending the island from the crabs this year on Saturday the 27th of November from 11am to 2pm and Sunday the 28th of November from 12-3pm. You need to wear wellies and strong gardening gloves. AstraZeneca Row backfires. EU savaged for slow vaccine rollout as Covid crisis looms. The discovery of the new Omicron variant of Covid-19 in South Africa has renewed called for Brussels to abandon its steadfast defence of vaccine patents, which critics say is hindering efforts to vaccinate the whole world against Covid-19. Vocal critics of the EU are pointing to the Omicron variant. Newly classified as a variant of concern by the WHO, as evidence for the importance of rich nations ensuring less wealthy countries receive full access to the vaccines they need. The People's Vaccine, which is made up of over 50 organizations calling for vaccine equity and the banishing of intellectual property rights, have held up the Omicron variant and a postponed World Trade Organization summit as evidence for their demands they said in a statement, the vaccine apartheid that rich countries and the WTO have refused to address is ultimately responsible for the decision to postpone vaccine talks. Sara Mathia, representing the Greens at the European Parliament, said, the rise of the Omicron variant must finally let the European Commission see the light, we won't get out of this pandemic unless the whole world has access to affordable vaccines. She added, Europe has to urgently put people's health above pharma profits and support the waiver now. The postponement of the WTO summit is no excuse for inaction, as variants will continue to emerge. South Africa's vaccination rates fall short of a quarter of the population, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. This falls a long way short of the approximately 70% which France and Germany reach. The Omicron variant was first detected in South Africa and has fueled arguments for waiving intellectual property rights with the argument that variants will be less devastating to a recovering world if everyone in the developing world has access to vaccines. The Omicron variant was reported to The Who on Wednesday. And initial investigations suggest it may have a higher reinfection risk than previous variants. AstraZeneca was among the major COVID 19 vaccine manufacturers, stating on Friday that they are looking into how the Omicron variant impacts the current vaccines and changes potentially made to future vaccines. They described how their vaccine is able to be swiftly modified for emerging COVID 19 mutations. They added, AstraZeneca is also already conducting research in locations where the variant has been identified, namely in Botswana and Eswatini. However, the British-made vaccine has been at the centre of a row in the EU after the bloc opted not to renew its contract with the supplier earlier this year. The decision in May came after French President Emmanuel Macron said the bloc will focus on jabs from other pharmaceutical companies in the future. Pfizer and BioNTech have also said tweaks can be made to their mRNA vaccine within a month and a half. They said, we understand the concern of experts and have immediately initiated investigations on variant B.1.1.529. They added that upcoming lab data will provide more information about whether B.1.1.529 could be an escape variant that may require an adjustment of our vaccine if the variant spreads globally. Moderna and Johnson & Johnson added that they were looking at the Omicron variant, testing how it reacts to their vaccine shots. Moderna CEO Stefan Barnsell commented, from the beginning, we have said that as we seek to defeat the pandemic, it is imperative that we are proactive as the virus evolves. He continued, the mutations in the Omicron variant are concerning and for several days, we have been moving as fast as possible to execute our strategy to address this variant. On Sunday, a third case of the Omicron variant was detected in the UK following two cases being identified in Essex and Nottingham over the weekend. The government issued updated guidance on COVID-19 measures in response to the variants' arrival in the UK, reinstating mandatory face mask rules in shops and on public transport in England. The Department of Health and Social Care has said that an emergency G7 meeting of health ministers will be held on Monday to discuss the developments on Omicron. I'm a celeb's Naughty Boy wouldn't have been paid if he quit ITV show. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Contestant Naughty Boy would not have received his payment for participating on the show if he quit, it has been claimed. Richard Madeley revealed this information on his return to Good Morning Britain Monday morning after having to exit the ITV reality competition last week when he fell ill and broke the Covid bubble by visiting a hospital. The 65-year-old voiced his opinion on the music producer's attitude, after the star first mentioned wanting to leave while in the clink in Tuesday's episode, along with Arlene Phillips. I did hopefully keep my sense of perspective and I could see that it was 4 in the morning and they were freaking out and what I was trying to say to them was, none of us make our best decisions at 4 in the morning Richard said of falling ill, before revealing his concern for his former fellow contestant. If Naughty Boy had walked, well you I mean you talk about contracts, he wouldn't have been paid and that's a big deal and I think he would have regretted it. I think he would have looked back and thought, ah that was a hasty decision. So, all I was trying to do was to say, 1, this isn't as bad as you think this is and 2, just go to bed. His revelation comes after Naughty Boy continued threatening to quit I'm a celeb, last declaring he would leave in Friday's episode. I want to make tonight a special night, as I will be leaving in the morning. I just think my time here is done he said, before adding in the bush telegraph, I'm still planning to leave tomorrow. I feel like my journey here in the camp has come to an end. The next morning however, the 36-year-old changed his mind and stayed after winning 11 stars and a huge meal for his fellow contestants. They didn't remain in camp for long though as Storm Airwain forced the celebrities to leave GWRYCH Castle and head back to their safe houses, which might not be the best decision for them according to former contestant Richard. I think they will find that very difficult, I know I would he added on Good Morning Britain. I've heard that they've gone back to the safe houses that we were all kept in for going on for two and a half weeks while we were in quarantine. Now those are comfortable places, they are not the castle and I would have thought that's going to play havoc with their psychology. They've all got themselves and I would have got myself into the mindset that you're in the castle and you're dealing with all the privations and suddenly you're back in a modern bungalow by the beach. It's going to mess with them. Iran just two months from nuclear bombers. Liz Truss secures historic deal to save world. Iran's nuclear negotiators make the U.S. sit at the kiddie table. The agreement is due to be signed today after Liz Truss and Israel's foreign minister Yalapid, struck a memorandum of understanding. The agreement is set to encourage a closer partnership between the U.K. and Israel, with collaboration on issues like cybersecurity. Technology development, defense, trade, and science. But a core part of the deal is concerned with preventing Iran from developing nuclear weapons. The pair wrote in a joint article for The Telegraph We will also work night and day to prevent the Iranian regime from ever becoming a nuclear power. The clock is ticking, which heightens the need for close cooperation with our partners and friends to thwart Tehran's ambitions. It comes after Amos Yadlan, the former head of Israel's military intelligence warned on Friday Tehran will be just two months away from a nuclear bomb under a renewed nuclear deal. Today, Iranian officials will meet EU diplomats in Vienna for talks to revive the 2015 nuclear deal. Negotiators from the UK will also join the talks, as Britain were one of the signatories to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. JCPOA nuclear deal. The original signatories to the JCPOA were China, France, Germany, Iran, Russia, the UK, the US and the EU. The agreement was struck up in 2015 after Iran agreed to slam the brakes on its nuclear weapons program in return for the lifting of crippling economic sanctions. But that deal was scrapped in 2018 when Donald Trump pulled America out of the deal and slapped down sanctions on Iran. While Mr. Trump's administration tore apart the deal, Joe Biden's presidency has signaled some new hope for a revived deal. But so far, no progress has been made. Countries are now scrambling to revive the deal as Iran is thought to be pushing ahead with its nuclear program but Mr Yadlin has warned that it might be too late. He slammed Israel's previous government for encouraging Mr Trump to withdraw from the Jkboa without planning for how Iran would respond. Mr Yadlin claimed, what happened in 2018, the Iranians advanced toward a bomb, they continued with their enrichment, to 60%. They have today three tons of enriched uranium, and most dangerously they developed advanced nuclear centrifuges. Now, even if we return to the 2015 agreement, it's not the same agreement. It doesn't keep Iran a year away from a bomb, as it was before the Jkboa was signed, rather only two months from a bomb. And that is what is the most serious, that when the Iranians moved down this path, neither Trump nor Israel prepared a plan for how to stop them but the UK and Israel are hoping to soften the blow with their new partnership. The pair already have a trading relationship worth £5 billion, with Rolls-Royce supplying jet engines to Israel's national airline and the Israeli pharmaceutical giant Teva providing one in six of the NHS's prescription medicines. Ms Truss was previously involved with preparations for trade deal talks back when she was International Trade Secretary before being switched to Foreign Secretary two months ago. But this partnership may not be enough to limit Iran's advances. Iran's top negotiator and foreign minister both said on Friday that a full lifting of sanctions would be the only thing on the table in Vienna. A European diplomat said. If this is the position that Iran continues to hold on Monday, then I don't see a negotiated solution. Lord Kerr demolishes Preeti Patel's economic migrants' narrative with just three simple facts. What's that, a crossbench peer shut down the Home Secretary's narrative around refugees with three points alone. Good Lord. Literally. Social media users have rushed to heap praise on Lord Kerr of Ken and his contribution to a debate on migrants held in the House of Lords on Thursday afternoon. It came just hours after it was reported that 27 people had died when their boat sank during an attempted crossing of the English Channel. The first victim of the tragedy, 24-year-old Kurdish student Mariam Nuri Hamdamin, was identified on Friday. While the debate moved by former Vauxhall MP Baroness Hoey was about the number of migrants arriving in the United Kingdom illegally by boat, Lord Kerr offered up a more sympathetic approach. I would just like to contribute three sets of facts the crossbench peer said. First, overall refugee numbers are currently running at about half of where they were 20 years ago. We are not the preferred destination in Europe. We are, as Lady Hamwe said, well down the list of preferred destinations. He then moved on to small boat numbers, which he conceded were up, partly because of the fences, the patrols, and the heat sensors around the train tracks and marshalling yards driving people towards the even more dangerous sea route. But the principal reason why clandestine numbers are up is that official resettlement routes are shut, he added. Our schemes, in practice, no longer exist. We have closed the Syrian scheme, we have scrapped the Dub scheme, we have left Dublin three, and, we haven't got an Afghan scheme up and running. Moving on to statistics, Lord Kerr said that in terms of nationality, the largest group crossing the channel in the past 18 months were Iranians with 3,187 citizens making the journey. In the same period, he said, only one entered the UK through the official route. How many came from Yemen in these 18 months? Yemen, riven by civil war and famine. None, by the official route, not one. Two facts down one to go, and it was then that he turned to comments made by Preeti Patel to the Lords Home Affairs and Justice Committee in October. Ms Patel told peers, in the last year, 70 per cent of individuals on small boats are single men who are effectively economic migrants. They are not genuine asylum seekers. That is plainly not true Lord Kerr said on Thursday citing statistics from her own department which revealed that virtually all of the top 10 nationalities arriving in small boats seek asylum. 61% are granted it at the initial stage and 59% receive it on appeal, he said. And I thought the Conservatives were against things being publicly owned. The facts suggest that well over 70 percent of asylum seekers coming across the channel in small boats are genuine asylum seekers, not economic migrants. That is hardly surprising because the top four countries they come from are Iran, Iraq, Sudan and Syria. These people are fleeing persecution and destitution, and the sea route from France is the only one open to many of them. He concluded his contribution by warning unless we provide a safe route for asylum seekers, we are complicit with the people smugglers. Yes, we can condemn their case. Yes, we mourn yesterday's dead, but that does not seem to stop us planning to break with the Refugee Convention. Our compassion is well controlled, because it does not stop us planning, in the Borders Bill to criminalise those who survive the peril of the seas, and those at Dover who try to help them. Of course, we can go down that road, but if we do, let's at least be honest. Let's be honest enough to admit that what drives us down that road is sheer political prejudice, not the facts, because the facts do not support the case for cruelty he said. Heck yes. It's hard for us to pull out one part of the speech to focus on, but social media users tried their best, as they commended Lord Kerr for a superb address. For others, it was the last line which was the most devastating, as journalists ourselves, we can't argue with the fact that the truth sounds so good. Lord Kerr, we salute you. Mother returns adopted son into care citing challenging behavior a mother who adopted a pair of brothers seven years ago has revealed how she felt forced to return one to the care system, claiming a lack of support for adoptive parents meant she was unable to deal with his behaviour. Eleanor Bradford, a former BBC presenter and head of PR from Murray in Scotland, and her partner decided to adopt when they realised they couldn't have their own children. In 2014 they adopted two brothers aged three and seven who were set to be separated, with the elder boy to remain in foster care as most people prefer to take on younger children. Eleanor and her partner wanted to keep the boys together, so the four became an instant family. She has described the first five years of family life as full-on but fabulous, adding that it was a dream that turned into a nightmare. However, they were forced to make what she describes as the heartbreaking decision to return the older boy to the foster care system as his behavior became too challenging to cope with after starting secondary school. Writing for the Sunday Times, Eleanor described how adoption began as a dream for us, but turned into a nightmare when he started lying, cutting up her clothes, stealing from her and engaging in online criminal behavior. She said that while while her son showed a lack of empathy and morals, he wasn't violent, however he frequently lied, and stole from both his parents and grandparents. He also partook in online betting, and while Eleanor and her partner put blocks on what he could access on the internet in a bid to curb this, she says a neighbor gave him a smartphone, which he used to gamble. When they asked for respite care. She says it was declined. Suspecting he may have suffered fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, brain damage caused by his mother's drinking during her pregnancy, she was unable to get a diagnosis from his school. As a result, Eleanor and her partner had to make the heartbreaking decision that their son had to go into care. What is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASDs, refer to a collection of diagnoses that represent the range of effects that can happen to a person whose mother drank alcohol during pregnancy. These conditions can affect each person in different ways, and can range from mild to severe. A person with an FASD might have. Revealing that her older son is now moving to his fifth set of carers in a short space of time, she said. It's a tragedy for him and for us. If one foster carer's salary had been invested in a counselor or teacher trained in trauma, not only our son but many other traumatized children could have accessed support. There is an empty hole in our home, but it's not entirely a black hole. I can walk in the door and leave my bag on the table. Before, I had to lock away my purse hide the key and stash my bag safely upstairs. Our home is a happy place. We have the time to read our younger son a regular bedtime story, a luxury that had gone by the wayside as we constantly dealt with the fallout from the behaviour of our eldest. Speaking to the BBC, Eleanor, who is a trustee for the charity Adoption UK, said she was furious about how little support adoptive parents are given. She explained that many children in care have suffered trauma in various forms including violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and this can have an impact on the brain, and lead to behavioral problems. These can include issues with addiction, stealing, lying, sexualized behavior, and violence among others because we not only needed to access the extra support for him but it was coming to a point where he was putting us at risk and he was putting his younger brother at risk, she said. Describing the system as unjust, she added that foster carers are entitled to training and support as it is widely recognised that their role is very difficult. However, adoptive parents are not automatically entitled to the same support. According to Adoption UK, around 3-4% of adoptions break down annually, and up to 75% of adoptive parents struggle to receive the support needed by their children. The charity adds that issues accessing support are particularly acute in Scotland. It is now calling for more support for adoptive families, including assessments of need, support plans, and trauma training for school teachers. It also wants better diagnosis and support for all children affected by FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Responding to Eleanor Bradford's experience, a Scottish government spokesperson told the BBC, all local authorities have a statutory duty to provide support to adoptive families. This approach is supplemented by a Scottish government commitment to invest £500 million over the life of this parliament through the Whole Family Wellbeing Fund. This will ensure families can access support where and when they need it. Putin fires new hypersonic missile from Baltic Shield as war fears explode on end of EU. Russia test fired the 6,670 mph Zircon or SirCon, hypersonic missile from the Admiral Gorshkov frigate in the White Sea. The weapon, which travels at five times the speed of sound, successfully hit its target at a distance of more than 400 kilometers. The test comes amid escalating tensions between the West and Vladimir Putin over Russia amassing troops on the Ukraine border. Russia previously successfully tested a hypersonic missile from a frigate in the White Sea on 18 November. And last month, Moscow launched the Zircon from a submarine for the first time. The weapon has been touted by the Russian president as part of his arsenal of supposedly unrivaled arms systems. Russia's Defense Ministry said that the Severodvinsk submarine had fired the missile in the Barents Sea, successfully hitting its chosen target. Russia's Deputy Premier Yuri Borisov said last month that Russia had outpaced the West in hypersonic weapons. Mr Borisov added that Moscow intends to maintain its lead. He said, we have broken forward, specifically in the sphere of hypersonic weapons and based on new physical principles. We now have serious advantages in this regard over the leading Western countries, and will try to maintain this position. It comes as Russia has sparked fears of an invasion with its troop build-up on Ukraine's border. Last week, the US said all options are on the table in how to respond to Moscow. Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs Karen Donfried said on Friday, as you can appreciate, all options are on the table and there's a toolkit that includes a whole range of options. US Secretary of State Antony Blinken is heading to Latvia and Sweden this week to attend meetings of NATO and the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, OSH. MS Donfried said Russia's large and unusual troop build-up would top the agenda at the NATO summit. She said, it's now for the alliance to decide what are the next moves that NATO wants to take. Next week, we will talk about our assessment of what's happening on Russia's border with Ukraine and we will begin that conversation of what are the options that are on the table and what it is that NATO as an alliance would like to do together. US, NATO and Ukrainian officials have raised the alarm in recent weeks over Russian troop movements. The head of Ukraine's military intelligence told the Military Times outlet that Russia had more than 92,000 troops massed around Ukraine's borders and was preparing for an attack by the end of January or the beginning of February. Moscow has dismissed such allegations as inflammatory and defended its right to deploy its troops as it wished. Weatherspoons accuses customers of pretending to be hit by debris after pub ceiling collapses. Customers pretended to have been struck by debris in a JD Weatherspoon pub after parts of the ceiling collapsed during storm air when, a spokesperson for the chain has said. Staff were forced to call the emergency services and evacuate drinkers from the premises when chunks of plaster fell from the ceiling of the North and South Wales Bank pub in Wrexham just before 10.30pm on Friday. No customers or staff were injured although two customers pretended they had been hit but when confronted by the police and Weatherspoon's staff looking at CCTV it showed clearly that no customers were struck by any debris the spokesperson told North Wales Live. The Welsh Ambulance Service said that it had received reports of two potentially injured people at the pub and that a rapid response vehicle was called to the scene, according to the outlet but the two individuals had left the premises by the time that paramedics arrived, the ambulance service said. The Independent has contacted North Wales Police for more details of its response to the incident. The pub will be closed until further notice and a structural engineer, builder and architect will attend to assess the damage, the Weatherspoon's spokesperson said. In the meantime, the pub's staff will be deployed to the other Weatherspoon's pub in Wrexham, the Elihu-Yale, they added. It is unclear whether the damage was related in any way to Storm Air wen for which the Met Office issued a rare red weather warning along parts of the East Coast on Friday night and an amber warning for wind in Western Wales on Saturday morning. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support we hope to see you again next time.